Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest today is somebody I've known for quite a little bit now, Michael Mott, who is a composer, a lyricist, a vocal producer, an actor. That's how I know him. I know him back from uh, our old acting days. This dude has gone on to do so much amazing work that, of course, had to have him on the show. He's got a concert coming up at Green Room 42 and a new single coming out that uh, is breaking news here on this podcast with Jessica Vosk. So, yay there, we're breaking that news. I find it's always cool to talk to composers and creatives and, and people that we don't normally hear from, but especially Michael has the benefit of being a performer on stage, so he gets all the sides of the equation, and he's writing for a, a profession that he did and still does. We had a lovely conversation about the current state of Broadway and, uh, you know, the abundance of jukebox musicals, which may or may not be a controversial topic, depending on who you are and what you believe. But before we get into it, as always, leave a rating, leave a review, find me on social media, and everybody, please enjoy this episode with Michael Mott. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our guest today is an internationally critically acclaimed award-winning actor, composer, lyricist, songwriter, coach, and vocal producer. He's been named one of Playbill's contemporary musical theater songwriters you should know and has won the Broadway World 2020 Cabaret Award for Best Original Song for his piece Jingle My Bells, written for the Boy Band Project. Concert work includes sold-out performances of his original material at numerous venues in the U.S. and around the world, and all of this came after he he decided to take a hiatus from acting, something that found its way back to him just very recently. Michael Mott, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hello, great to see you. So you and I have known each other since 05, I want to say, when I've talked about this several times on the podcast, but you know, I used to perform at Bush Gardens, 05, 06, 07, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. And uh, you were there in the Holiday in Roma show, the Italy show. And so that's, that's where show. we met. Uh, the, yeah, the Italian show, which we were, <laughs> we were talking before, before we started recording. We don't even know if the show exists anymore. My show, Secrets of Castle O'Sullivan, got replaced with like some lunch dinner with Elmo thing, I think. Like a Sesame <laughs> Street thing. So I, I, I don't know what's going on down there in Williamsburg, Virginia. But how the hell have you been? I'm good. 
I'm good. I still remember the choreography. I was there summer of 06 and then the summer and fall of 07, right after I graduated college. That was such a fun time, I think, in sort of everyone's career. Um, that was amazing. <laughs> it's like the non-equity work. Remember, we were, I was getting, what, my third year there, I was getting like thirteen fifty an hour or something like that. And wow. Like, you could, yeah, you could get paid just enough to live. Because, uh, you know, when you're in your 20s and doing non-ec work, you just go out, you drink, and you blow it all on alcohol and, you know, your rent. It was great training, though, because you got to do, you know, six shows a day in 105 degree weather outside and it builds your endurance and your stamina so much as a performer. Remember, uh, my show was was one of the two or three in the park, one of the few that was air conditioned. So while I was still doing 10 shows a day in the height of the summer, height of the summer, I was still I had that air conditioning. So that's nice. It was, yeah, it was always it was always nice to have the other casts come in and watch because they would want to come in and get out of the heat. So we had little little support. But oh God. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. The cruise ships and theme park world, though, is such a different. It's such a, a different atmosphere. It's a different a whole different track. I want to say from like the traditional what we'll call traditional musical theater and acting, singing, dancing. Right. So, I mean, I got the job. I don't know how you actually you got hired at Bush, but I got hired out of SETC, which. I don't even know if SETC is still around, but the, those unified auditions where you have 90 seconds and then hopefully you get a year's worth of work out of it. Did you? How did you audition? Um, actually, Brent Frederick came to Ithaca College. And at the time, it was myself, Jeremy Jordan, Shauna Goodgold. We all got hired at the same time to work at Bush Gardens. Wait, Jeremy Jordan was at Bush with us? Yeah, I lived with him. I was in Holiday in Roma the first year, and then he did Jukebox and Kinetics. And then the second year, I did Viva Italia after Holiday in Roma left. Right, right. And all of us have gone on to like such different careers and different yeah, uh, different real. ways of, of finding success. And so now, uh, like I've been seeing your name. You've got a full-length concept album with these major stars all over the place. And then you've got like a concert coming up in December, uh, a couple days at Green Room 42. And, and, and we're going to cover all of that because it's it's fascinating I, I absolutely love how how all of us have just found our little place in this world and like moved on together but i want to back up uh to talk about about little little michael little Marty. uh <laughs> how when did you start like getting into performing singing acting like what what was that moment when you were a kid when you started like getting into the scene i used to be obsessed with the elephant show have you heard it with Sharon Lois and Bram? That's where Skinnamarinky Dinky Dink, Skinnamarinky Doo comes from. Yeah, I was oh, obsessed with yeah, that. Yeah. I, in fact, when I first started doing concerts, my my show would open with the background singer singing that. <laughs> it would be like me sitting in front of the TV, and then it would open with my background singers, and it would take you through a journey of like how I grew up, the music I grew up listening to, and like showed you how I got to then to now. Um, and that was from my show. That was then. This is how. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, no, I just grew up loving music, but then it wasn't until high school when I decided, oh, I'm going to be a, a cast member on Saturday Night Live. That was my <laughs> very attainable goal. Of and course, I had a teacher course. in high school who was like, you have to audition for the, the musical. And he pushed me to audition and I did Sound of Music and I got cast as the, in the ensemble and I was in love. I knew this is what I had to do. So then just, you know, two years later, I went and I auditioned for Ithaca College for musical theater. And, you know, it just kind of spiraled and it took off from there. Did your parents at any point 
because uh, mine did. They, they were like, "All right, Michael, listen, you need a real job while you have fun over here." Or were they were they always supportive? Um, they were always supportive. If, I think at first that was maybe the concern, but then I started getting these like I started. I, I was a big fish in a small pond in my high school, and I was getting mm-hmm. all the lead roles. I was getting all the awards, and after I was doing all of those shows and getting such recognition and like on the front page of the paper of like local talent does this and i won these awards like in there was this thing called the new york state summer school of the arts and i attended that and i got such like big recognition from like alec baldwin it was a lot of that stuff and then my family was like well this seems to be going really well in high school so we're just going to support whatever you want (laughs) and they've been they've been very 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 supportive and very lucky and are you are you an only child or do you have siblings to my mother i'm an only child to my father i'm one of three did any of them follow in the same artistic f- footsteps? Absolutely not. My my brother is 31, and he used to help me memorize lines um, when I was younger. In fact, I used to be obsessed with Saturday Night Live. Up, oh, sorry, Live, with Jekyll and Hyde, the musical. And uh, he would, I would, I, he would listen to it so much by proxy of myself that he knew all. Like he would sing Confrontation in the car. He'd be like, never. <laughs> you know, when we were younger, and and he still to this day he like quotes Lamez, and my favorite year I was Benji Stone in my favorite year, and he quotes Larger Than Life, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like we couldn't be more opposite, but he 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 knows all the musicals because of me. So after we both separated um, and left the theme park world, did you immediately move to New York and and start composing? Because you, like you're you're writing and you're composing and you're creating versus going down the the traditional performer path that a lot of other people have taken. Right. Yeah. No. I so I actually I graduated college May 18th, and then May 19th I was I I started Bush Gardens. So I drove the next morning, and then I remember Bush Gardens. Uh, I was supposed to only be there for the summer. And then they offered me the fall show. So I did, um, I was the Prince Frog or something, Rolf the Frog or something in some Halloween show. And then after I did that, that ended November 1. And I moved to New York November 2nd. And I lived with Jeremy Jordan in an apartment here. He, he only did the summer at Bush. Then he went back, found an apartment for us. He did all the legwork. And then I got there November 2nd. I moved into the apartment. And I was a professional actor for seven years. That's my degree is I have a BFA in musical theater performance from Ithaca. So I was I, I was acting, doing you know new musicals, regional, off Broadway, national tours. I did one cruise ship. It was like a like a one week thing. I did that for a minute, and I was just never. I was grateful for the work, but I was just never fully happy in that I didn't feel like I was using all of my creative potential, and so. I applied to the BMI Lehman Angle Musical Theater Writers Workshop, got accepted into that. Then I said, if I get into this, I'm going to only focus on writing because I'd always written, but I'd never I didn't I didn't really have the training. I didn't have composition training. I just knew that I loved creating and writing music and lyrics. And so I got into the BMI program. I was so thankful for that. That was in 2012. And then I put acting on a shelf and I said, I'm going to just do this. And then I ended up meeting my mentor, Kim Scharnberg, and I got a record deal at Broadway Records and everything just aligned and took off. So I followed that. And now of all, it's so funny how life comes back around after it's now 2022, a decade later, and I'm accepting acting roles again. I got offered a role to act as an Italian uh, in a new Cole Porter musical as an Italian, a native Italian, like straight off the boat. And 
my, my, my friend Jeff Whiting is directing it and helping create this new musical. And so he said, can you play this role? And I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is exactly what I do. It's like perfect typecasting. So now I'm like dabbing, dabbing my foot back into the acting world. Wait, Cole Porter died in 1964. How is there a new Correct. Cole Porter musical? So these two great guys, Robbie and Bradley, um, have taken a bunch of his deep cuts and a bunch of his songs. I mean, he's written hundreds and hundreds of songs, right? And they took these songs and they put together a new musical loosely based on the movie, 1934 movie, The Gay Divorcee. And, oh, well, they updated it a little bit, I guess, but it, it takes place actually in 1928. And it's using all of these unique Cole Porter songs that are deep cuts. So, wow. so I'm singing, my big song is How's Your Romance? Um, but I sing, I sing a lot and it's like high dramatic tenor, like very operatic, like very over the top, but I'm like, Oh, I can totally do this named Giuseppe. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so I'm excited. I'm excited. And I'm working with some like legend. I'm working with Seth Rudetsky. I'm, I'm like very nervous. We, I start tomorrow. I start rehearsals tomorrow. Has <laughs> this been announced? Are we, are we breaking news here? Or, or no, there's a, pl- I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. If it was my own thing. Yes, yeah, sure. But no, this is. This has been announced on Playbill and Broadway World and Theater Mania and everything. I was tagged in all the posts last week. So, oh, so it's brand, it's brand new, brand new announced. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Max Max Clayton and uh, uh, Vincent Rodriguez from Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I think oh, I said so his cool. name correctly. Yeah, um, I'm I'm really excited. It's a great group, and I'm just terrified to act again. But I'm excited well, so then about it. then. It sounds like this is sort of fell in your lap, and I love, in, in a good way, and I love when people um, embrace opportunity, right? You you say yes to uh, to something that makes you uncomfortable, and end up getting getting to take you to a brand new a brand yeah, new I'm realm. Scared. And I, it, I'm scared. When I when Jeff asked me, when Jeff first approached me about it, I was like, oh, I can do that. And then I was like, why am I saying yes to this? I was like, no, I'm terrified. And I read the script, <laughs> and I was like, do I have to do this? I'm not really comfortable with that. And he was just like. No, it's a reading. You don't have to do any of that. There's some stuff where it's like, you know, some stuff that I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to like take off all my clothes. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a comedy. It's a farce. And my character is just ridiculous. And so I'm excited. I'm scared, but I'm excited. Then in the last decade, though, before this fell in your lap, you've you've been a successful composer and you've got all of this music that you've been writing. So did it take you a while to to find I guess your voice, for lack of a better term, you know, what you wanted to write about or the style you wanted to write in? Because there, there's an infinite number of possibilities. That's a really great question. I, I On my first album, it came out in 2014, Where the Sky Ends. I go back and I listen to it now. And it was just me like trying to prove to myself that I was a, I was a quote unquote composer. And every song is in a completely different genre and style. And I think that I was just trying to flex every creative muscle I had and just show the world I can do anything, you know. And I think it was really just trying to prove that to myself. And then my second album was all top 40 pop. So, like, it's completely kind of all over the map. And you're like, well, what is it? Like, I don't think I knew what I was doing. I I was trying to prove to myself that I could do this coming from the acting world, I think. Because, you know, then I wrote a musical called In the Light, which I think you were referring to with the concept recording. And that Mm -hmm. is very sweeping and epic. And I was working on that for like 10, 12 years, you know. And I have new musicals now that are all very different styles. And for me, now I feel mature and secure in myself that I can 
look at what the material is and figure out what is the best style to authentically tell this and be the best writer I can be to tell that story. Um, but I also know my limitations. And right now I'm currently writing a story based on a woman's real life story. I had to buy her life rights. And her sound, she's, she's a Puerto Rican woman from the Bronx. And her sound is different than the French Italian boy living in Europe who is a little bit more classical and folk actually in my interpretation. And she's, she's more Latin and pop and it's very different styles that merge together. And I know my limitations. I'll know like, okay, well I'm, I'm Italian. I'm like 2% Spanish. I'm 3% Greek, but I'm Italian. Like I don't fully understand Latin music um, to the degree that, you know, someone else who I'm not going to name names, but would understand better. And maybe they can help arrange this to bring it, to have it be more authentic. You know, I know my limitations. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. It's interesting to me because over the time, over time, right, the more we study this, and I'm sure that there are people who are, are expert scholars in all of this, so they could just hear three notes and know who wrote it. But, you know, there, mm -hmm. there's like, there's a style to, of course, the, one of the most famous composers now of our generation is Lin-Manuel, right? So there's a style when I hear Vivo, when I hear In the Heights, when I hear Hamilton, when I hear other things he's written for Disney now, like I can tell like, oh, this has got that touch of, of Lin in it. And even like lyrics, lyrics wise as well. And one of the most interesting things though, is uh, similar to, I guess what you just said is, um, the the woman you bought the life rights for is that she's got a different sound and then other people have a different sound and uh, that made me think of something i heard i forget where i heard it it was like a i think i was watching a youtube video about the creation of encanto and they were talking about like each of the different songs that the sisters sing is like it, everything has to have a style right so yeah. you, even in I guess the opening number when you're talking about them, when you, it's, I forget their names, but the sister who can hear very well, right? She can hear everything. So because she, everything's so loud to her when she sings, she's real quiet. And then like right. Louisa, the big strong one has got the, you know, the beefier instrumental behind her. So I, I, it sounds like it just comes from, from practice, from, from experience of trying to, instead of writing, a, so a song for yourself. Well, I guess, okay, let's back this up. When you're writing an album for you of the Michael Mott songs, that's a different process than writing a musical for other characters to sing because this, the reason that the characters are singing uh, has to be apparent in the song. They're not just gonna break out into song and dance just because. Like, there's a reason that they, they can't speak anymore. They have to sing. That's how they can express themselves in that moment. So it has to sound like it's coming from them. Yeah, there's we're, there's a lot of things in there that you said that we can unpack. It definitely has to you know, obviously like make sense that it's it sounds like like your music would be different music than my music if I was writing mm -hmm. as characters. But then the circumstance has to play into it. Like what is the tension of the moment or what is the I don't know, what is the what is the emotion that's connected to that? So it's like that your character's emotion is different than my character's emotion and your sound would be different. And that's something that the, the BMI workshop did really well. I remember we were all paired off into composer lyricist teams in the first year and we had to write a, um, a character establishment song for 
the uh, lead character in the movie as good as it gets. So the Jack Nicholson character had to have, <laughs> and, and if you know that character, he's got a ton of idiosyncrasies and he won't walk on cracks on sidewalks. And like, what does his music sound like? And I'll tell you, we had like, I think it was a 14 composer lyricist, lyricist pairs and every single person's style for how they musicalized him was completely different, you know? And yeah. that's what makes it interesting. And that's what makes it unique. But here's the thing is that no matter what I write, people always say to me, oh, I, I knew that was you. Like it has the Michael Mott sound. And I'm always like, I don't even know what that means. But like you, but, but when you say that about Lynn, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what that means. Because I can hear a Lynn song. I can hear a Stephen Flaherty, Lynn Aaron song. I can hear a Mark Shaman song. I can hear a Jason Robert Brown song. I know exactly who wrote it. But if you ask me, or if I'm sure if you ask them, they're just like, I'm just writing. You know, I'm just sitting down to write and maybe our hands go to the same place. Maybe we, we like the interval. I don't know. I don't know what that is, but you can hear the, the writer in it. I completely agree with that. Uh, yeah, you can hear a Lynn song, hear a Sondheim song, hear a JRB song. It's, it, it is them inside their music. And what I was going to say, the last thing about this was you said like some of your, your second album was like pop songs and stuff. And, and when you're writing something like that, like a pop song versus an entire beginning and end uh, musical, right? That's the difference is that the songs themselves are meant to be standalone if they're pop, more or less. Whereas there's something, there's action that happens before the beginning of every song and after a song in a musical that carries that story through, that carries that emotion through. As a musical theater songwriter, I spend so much time with my collaborators crafting the perfect moment of how to finesse that moment in song that goes from point A to point Z, that moves the story forward, that sounds like the idiosyncrasies of the character, that helps us get on a journey that steps inside that character's psyche and pulls it out. There's so much craft that goes into trying to make a musical theater song do its job and function as a musical theater storytelling song. So when I'm writing a pop song, I'm not actually thinking about any of those things of how it would work on stage. I'm thinking of what's the best oral sound and how do I make this vocalist shine? That's what I'm thinking of. I guess there's two there's two versions of the jukebox musical, right? So you have um, something like Jagged Little Pill. So specifics of the story aside in both of my examples, but um, technically speaking, you have something like Jagged Little Pill, where it's at a jukebox musical with Alanis Morissette music, but the story has nothing to do with Alanis or has nothing to do about her, her journey. It's just the songs are placed in a way throughout the story to, to move the story along to the best of its ability. Where And then on the other end, there's a, there's a show like MJ, where it's MJ songs, Michael Jackson songs that are written by him and sung by the character playing him and still move the story along. Is there, uh, I guess, in your mind, is it is it all sort of the same thing that's wrapped up or would you prefer like the MJ where if you're gonna use the music by the person that the story is about the person? That's, a, that's an interesting question. I don't even think of it that way. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's different and those are the times we're living in. And I think you know, the old adage, adapt or die, I, as a musical theater songwriter, need to do my best to adapt to that. And while I don't naturally go in that direction, I think 
for me to be relevant and to work on things and to have my work produced, I need to think more about that. Whereas I'm like, no, Alan's sound would be this, and I'm going to write that. And But how do I bring that into a contemporary way of telling stories? And you have to think. I mean, it is show business, right? Like, you look at the shows that are on Broadway and the sounds that they're using, and it's it's a lot of currently recognizable IP. Kinky Boots. Like, yeah. I mean, Cindy Law. I mean, there's someone like even Waitress, Sarah Bareilles. I mean, that was an original score, but it had that recognizable name. And this this is not anything new. I mean, we all know like what is it? Paul Simon had the Cape Man like way back then. Like Elton John wrote uh, uh, Lion King. You know, mm-hmm. there's always recognizable names writing these shows and or recognizable songs. And so I guess for me, I'm trying to do my best to hustle to make my songs as recognizable as big as they can be so that I can get a show produced on a grand scale on a Broadway stage. I have four original musicals. It's it's hard. You know, people were like, well, what was your hit? You know, what's your number one song in the Billboard chart that'll help you get your show to Broadway? And it's just like, it's such a catch 22. And so I don't know. I'm inspired. I want to keep going. I'm going to keep doing my best. But I guess writing a pop song and I say all that to say, writing a pop song and writing a musical theater song, to me, I have different approaches to them. And I think that in today's day and age, I kind of maybe have to think about them being more similar than than not. Yeah, I was going to say that that the generation now, and we're going to sound like old men saying, get off my lawn. But, you know, the generation Please, now, I am an old man. Uh, yeah, we're the same age, pretty sure. Um, yeah, th- like the the... The the kids these days, you've got, of course, TikTok creating their own musicals on TikTok. And there was something else mm-hmm. that uh, was just announced. I forget what it was, but it was something like, we're going to model it after the TikTok style of very short snippets. And I'm like, how is that going to make a cohesive story when, like, if ever, I, I don't know what that meant interpretively, but I'm really excited to see it in, in a, like, eyebrow raisy sort of way, right? Yeah, but, like, I'm always, I'm all for pushing the art form forward and using new platforms to tell stories like that's exciting and interesting to me. Absolutely. I I also probably be like, well, how's that going to work? But then, okay, well, let's figure it out, you know, because I think as creators, it is our job to do our best to tell an authentic story and to entertain, you know, people want to be entertained. Has there ever been a choose-your-own-adventure story on Broadway? Um, the mystery of Edwin Drood. Like the audience get to choose mm-hmm. where choose the, the ho- ending. Really? Uh huh. Because I, I, I was thinking it'd be so cool to like, uh, who wants to be a millionaire style? Everyone's got a little thing in in their in oh. front of them on the seat where well, it's you like fun that right where where <laughs> where uh, everybody's got um, the ability to change the course of the story, and so the actors are are trained to go through different paths and you know some would overlap but like the show could be different every time when you see when you see other shows that you like when there is a hit the new thing are you are you looking at it like trying to trying to dissect it do you take it home and sort of try to reverse engineer like what made this good or do you just say oh that's great i'm going to go back to my style no i mean uh, i think as creators, I'm, I'm always looking to be inspired, and I'm inspired by any and everything I see, whether I love it or I hate it. I, I, dis, you know, I, I always find something creatively to latch onto. When I watch shows, I whether it's a movie, a film, 
theater, a concert, I'm always looking at it from the business side and and how it was constructed. And I'd be like, oh, okay, this song is in AABA form or this is verse chorus. Oh, interesting. I wonder why this moment comes here. Oh, you know, oh, the inciting action's happening now. Huh, interesting. Oh, uh, this this plot point, this character's, the, the, the function of this character is to get us to here. Interesting how they did this. Oh, yo, the sound design. Like, I, I'm always thinking about those things. I'm never just sitting and letting a story unfold. I'm thinking about, oh, okay, so this their operating costs must be this. This is happening here. These wigs are expensive. I can tell. Like uh, when I had a meeting with the producer, they said they wouldn't produce this show because there's too many wigs for the females. So cut your female characters. And I, I'm thinking that. Like that's how my mind is going. That, yeah, that's sort of how I watch TV and film because I'm like, mm -hmm. and, and my wife who is a complete not AV person at all or a movie buff at all. She's like, was that a drone shot? Are they shooting day for night right now? Are they? Uh... Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So like I've started talking about, uh, you know, like, oh, that's, that's got to be a dolly shot. They got to be on a crane. I wonder how they got that shot. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. And, and it's, it's really, it's really fun to me to try to dissect that. But yeah, there also is a way that now I can't turn that off. I, I, so I sort of feel like I'm losing some of the, the enjoyment Magic. now. Yeah, yeah, I'm losing some of the, I'm spoiling it for myself. We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. When I watch, my new thing has been when I watch films, I'm always watching characters' hair. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, did, oh, yeah, I can tell this person got a haircut before they filmed this scene. And it's supposed to be like later that night. And I'm like, why am I so I'm like all about haircut consistency now. Now I can't hair. I cannot unsee this now, Michael. Exactly. You're, you're, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, oh, he got a haircut before he filmed this scene, even though it's supposed to be three hours later, you know, and it's I, I'm very aware of that in facial hair. Interesting. Yeah, I I would always uh, when I did TV and film, it was my facial hair is I, is, I suspect is like yours. It's thick and dark, so I had to like have a, yes. a razor on set, like a, an electric yes. razor, just like constantly be shaving all day. Exactly. It got got to exactly. be quite annoying and moisturizer. Anywho, <laughs> all right. So coming up in December, you've got a couple things happening. You've got a new single dropping on the second with uh, this up and comer called Jessica Vosk. You're the first one to to announce that to the world. It's not been announced yet, so we're dropping. Oh hell's yeah! All right, breaking news: Jessica Vosk, Friday, December second, single coming out called "To All a Good Night." Since we're breaking the news, let's actually play some of the song now. So here is everyone's exclusive sneak peek. The snowflakes all have fallen. The string lights have been strung. The kids are finally sleeping, so now the time has finally come to tell you, dear sweet in-laws, while brushing back a tear, I hope you make your plane, here's the schedule for the train, and yet you still remain here. Oh, Christmas with you guys has been fantastic. And I know that this might sound a little trite, but 
But when you're gone, the change here will be drastic. Merry Christmas and to all a good night. But you're not leaving, so I guess I gotta say... Oh, man, so good. Okay, and you've got a concert at Greenwood 42 at 7 p.m. on the 3rd. So are are they related? Is it all together? Tell us more about what's going on for you that first weekend in December. Yeah, so last year I did a holiday concert. I, I do all these Michael Martin friends probably like two, three times a year. Um, but last year I did a holiday concert and it went over so well and it was the first one since the pandemic. And... The buzz was really nice. The The energy in the room was great. And the Green Room 42 has been asking me to come back. So I decided to, what if we did an annual holiday show? I have a bunch of original holiday songs. And um, I decided this year that I would bring in some friends. And I have an eight-piece band. And I'm doing my original music as well as my own arrangements of traditional holiday classics. So I have Jeremy Jordan. Teal Wicks, Hannah Ellis, and Matt Bloyd, as well as my eight-piece band. And the concert is available to live stream if any of your listeners would like to watch. It's like 20 bucks. You can get a live stream ticket. That's on Saturday, December 3rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. From here on in, we shoot without a script. And (laughs) and so the single single coming out on the second as well with Jessica Vosk, is it just a single just to have a single? It's just a song. It's actually a song that my friend Cleo and I wrote uh, back in the BMI workshop years ago. And uh, during the pandemic, we revisited it and we had, you know, a new perspective and we decided to elongate it and make it a little bit more nuanced. And we went in, rewrote it, and we actually, I planned to record it last year, but then some stuff happened and I was working on a bunch of other music. So we pushed it to this year and uh, I reached out to Jessica Vosk. She was my dream vocalist on this. And she said, yes, she listened to it and thought it was funny. And the idea is it's a woman kicking out her in-laws after the holidays. And it's <laughs> it's just a it's just a funny comedy song uh, to all a good night and it'll... Drop everywhere December 2nd at midnight on all streaming platforms. Amazing. I can't wait to hear that because it's very quirky and funny. I love Vosk. I love your music. So together, match made in heaven. There we go. And Cleo's lyrics are very, very funny. So we have an 11-piece orchestra. It's an all-live band. Um, Some great players. I'm very, very, very fortunate and blessed to work with all these wonderful people and uh, orchestrated by my mentor, Kim Scharnberg. Legend. So you know it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Absolutely. Um, that I'll send it off. to you. You can hear okay. it beforehand. Yay! Okay. Um, so let's wrap up the episode with three questions. I ask everyone to uh, end the episodes here. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? Wow. Um, music. Music motivates me. The feeling and the comfort that I get from music is indescribable, and when you're lost inside a melody, when you're lost inside a symphonic orchestra, when you're lost inside that that sound, you're I feel unstoppable. And so I want to be able to give that to listeners and to inspire people, to heal people, to help people. That is so exciting to me that I want to do that for the rest of my life. All right, next question then. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Slow down, you crazy child. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Joel's Vienna speaks to me. 
I feel like I started as a writer very late in the game. My first album came out when I was like, what, 27, maybe 26, 27. And uh, by then, my contemporaries already had shows on Broadway. And I was like, well, I was an actor for seven years. I've lost so much time. I have to go full out. And so I threw everything at the wall and was like, I'm a songwriter. I can write in every style. I can do anything. And I just kept going. And like my my partner now always tells me like, you got to take a break, babe. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't like sitting on the couch. It feels like I, I, I could be more productive doing something, you know? So I would tell myself to slow down. You will get there when you're meant to. And your journey is your journey. Mm. All right. Last question then. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Ragtime. Mm. With Norm Lewis? Um, the original cast. I love Norm Lewis. That's no shade to him. I saw, I saw Norm Lewis backstage at a Carnegie Hall concert and he was like, I love your music. And I nearly shat my pants. I was like, you know who I am? Like, what? <laughs> so now I got I to gotta get Norm Lewis on some song at some point in time. I've offered him many things in the past. So maybe that's how he knew how, because I've offered him like different albums and I've offered him concerts and it's just never worked out. But he came up to me at this thing and said that to me. So I have to work with him. But no, I would love to see Ragtime with the original cast. Me too, actually, for that matter. I got to see- To hear Maren um, Maisie sing Back to Before, come on. Yes, yes. I got to see uh, Norm perform um, from Phantom for a, a fundraiser a couple months ago. And I was like- we were, it was for Afghan refugees and we were sitting on the floor mm. and I was literally 10 feet away from him. Just, I have no words for how he, his soul was able to just grow into the audience, wrap a big hug around all of us and hold us so tightly when he was performing. It is an experience wow. I, I haven't had in a long time. Like, just love that guy. His so, voice is silk. It's true. It's true. Every word he sings when he is singing it is true that mm. just makes it so much more real for all of us when we're watching it so yeah where can we find you online social media connecting with you of course green room 42 to get concert tickets december 2nd of course for the new single with jessica vosk where else can we connect instagram and TikTok and twitter are all michael underscore mott m-o-t-t and my website is michaelmott.net you can get tickets to the concert live stream tickets in-person tickets uh there and of course, you can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support for the podcast by visiting Patreon and look me up at The Theater Podcast. Theater Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on TikTok at The Theater Podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review, especially in Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music you're hearing right now. Michael, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you and catching up. Me too. Thank you, Alan. Deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E 
www.thepurpleshow.org because only together we rise.